If you have Bibles with you, you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. A few weeks ago, I shared with you a vision I had on July 1st, where two heavenly beings came to me and quoted Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, which says, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And the verse was repeated to me five times. The next week, I began to make application to that revelation. How do we stand firm? How do we make application to that verse? How do we, as a people, do what Galatians 5.1 says, what these heavenly beings reveal to me? How do we do that? How do we stand firm and not allow ourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery? Well, one of the ways that we do that is that we love, that we choose repeatedly to love. One of my favorite quotes from Bell Hooks says, The moment we choose to love, we begin to move toward freedom. I think that's truth. I think the path to freedom is marked by love. Anybody ever gone hiking? You ever gone on a hiking trail? And trees are usually have like some kind of marking on it, a blue diamond, a red X, something that lets you know to go from tree to tree. The path to freedom is marked. And the marking each step of the way is love. How do we stay free? We repeatedly choose to love. I was told once in a vision, he says, when you don't know what to do, and it will be often, do this. Choose love. Choose love. The Word of God says that love never fails. It's our path to, fr- to freedom. It was love, Jesus, that set us free, and it's love that will keep us free. Even when That means we have to love our enemies. Last week I continued this theme on freedom, and I talked about giving. I'd never talked about giving before in the church. And I gave you a different perspective on on giving in in the church. We looked at tithing in the Old Testament. Excuse me, and tithing in the New Testament. And then I said, hey, it's time to ask some better questions. I told you the question should no longer be, should I give? Of course we should give. But rather, how much does God, my heavenly Father, who loves me lavishly and extravagantly, how much does he want me to give? The issue issue is no longer, how much must I give, by putting a, a number on it, but how much has God put on my heart to freely and joyfully give? The question isn't, should I tithe? But rather, Lord, all I have is yours. What do you want me to do with it? The question is no longer can I afford 10%, but can I trust God? I told you last week that I believe that the new covenant standard for giving isn't tithing. Jesus gave all. That's the standard. He's our example in all things. He's our model in all all things. Our lives are no longer our own. Scripture says we've been bought with a price. He's Lord, and we're his. Everything's his. And so I reminded you repeatedly in last week's sermon, God's not after your stuff. (laughs) He's after your heart. Your heart, your stuff is just an indication of where your heart's at. He don't want your stuff. He don't need your stuff. There's nothing you can do to enrich him. He's perfect and complete and full.
And I told you how much you give is between you and God. It's not between you and me. He loves you either way, and so do I. And so I encouraged you from that place of love, from a position of freedom. I encourage you to be generously. Scripture says, those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. Those who sow generously reap generously. I encourage you to give generously. I encourage you to give out of a place of freedom and joy. Not because you have to, but because he's put it on your heart to do it. Not because you're under some rule or regulation that says what you must or mustn't do, but because you're in an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father, and in that place of intimacy, He's spoken to you, and your heart is to follow His lead. I promise not to manipulate you concerning money. And I challenge you to start asking new questions yourselves. Questions like, God, all I have is yours. What do you want me to do with it? And I encourage you to have faith to do that very thing. So I want to stay on that theme of freedom today. I'm still very much enjoying Galatians chapter 5. And so today I want to communicate a little bit that not only have we been set free from certain things, we've been set free for other things. We've been set free from, and we've been set free for. So I thought I'd give a little bit of a backstory of Galatians 5. Talk some about freedom and make some practical application. So if you would follow along, I'm going to read verses 1 to 26 in Galatians chapter 5. I'm, I'm using a new international version. Word of God says, verse 1, this is what was revealed to me by these two heavenly beings. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not. Let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 5, isn't that amazing? For through the Spirit we eagerly wait, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. It's by the Spirit, it's by faith. Nothing in there about works, is there? Nothing. The righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6, another amazing verse of Scripture. If you don't have verse 6 underlined, boy, you need to. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Holy cow. The word of God just said the only thing that counts. Anywhere in scripture where it says the only thing that counts, we want to know what the only thing is, right? This is that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that counts. Circumcision doesn't count. Tithing doesn't count. Faith expressing itself through love. Oh boy, that counts. That counts a whole lot. Verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. 
The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, he will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? <laughs> oh my goodness. Try and live a life of freedom. You don't have a bullseye on your back. Don't I know? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That is very polite language, my friends. If this was a Brooklyn translation, we would, have, we would say that a very different way. <laughs> In my neighborhood, they wouldn't be that polite. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. A few more verses. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Lord, I pray today that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth that's in your word. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word, that we would know it, that it will be written on our hearts and that the truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I tell you what, it's my opinion that the church in America today is very much like the Galatians church. I feel like Paul's letter to the Galatians is incredibly applicable to where we're at today. This incredible freedom has been won for us. And yet we choose, <laughs> by, the, by the teaching we listen to and by the traditions we follow and by the history that we've been indoctrinated by, to live in a place other than the fullness of the freedom that's ours in Christ Jesus. I think what Paul wrote to the Galatians then is extremely applicable to who we are now, to who the church is today. So a little bit of backstory on Galatians 5. When Paul originally came to Galatia, he brought with him the good news, the good news of freedom for those who have accepted Jesus. But when he left and he continued his evangelistic journeys, his missionary journeys, Judaizers were right there on his heels to deliver 
a message that said in order to be acceptable to God, the Galatians would have to submit to circumcision and the other dictates of the Jewish law. Paul came preaching a message of freedom. Others came behind him, no doubt in their mind well-intentioned, but they kept trying to sow in a field of freedom weeds of law and regulations and traditions of men. Here in chapter 5, Paul is exhorting the Galatians not to give away the very freedom which, for which Christ had suffered and died. He points out that to embrace any part of the law brings with it responsibility to obey the whole law. If you're going to play by those rules a little bit, then you're going to play by those rules completely. You can't mix the old and the new. It's one or the other. And the example he uses, a little bit of yeast affects the whole batch of dough. The only law that the Galatians needed to govern their lives was the law of love. So the, all of it summed up in this. All of the law is summed up in this. Love one another. And like I said, like I emphasize in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It astounds me in the church today how often we will sacrifice love for almost anything, for any position, for any doctrine. We'll sacrifice love. We'll make anything else have a higher position than that. And it's exactly the opposite of what God's challenged us to do. It's only through the work of the Spirit within that the Galatians and us would learn to turn away from their sinful natures and embrace what the Spirit brings. Paul was speaking to the Galatians 2,000 years ago. His words ring as loudly today as they did then. Jesus came to set us free so that we could live free. When God had established a covenant with Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, he did it to govern, uh, so the people could govern how to live. God had given Ten Commandments, and those Ten Commandments subsequently had been interpreted and then eventually expanded to more than 600 laws and rituals, all in God's name. But the law was never given to make people righteous. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to reveal sin. The purpose of the law was that would give us evidence that we could not obey the law. And don't we know that? So why heap more law upon more law upon more law? It's only to show us that we can't do it. Jesus came as the incarnation, the fulfillment of that Mosaic law, and instituted a new covenant based entirely on love. Jesus reiterated that when he was asked by the Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus himself said that. Love is the answer. Love is the key. That we would love God and that we would love one another. 
In Galatians 5, Paul defended the freedom Christians had to love one another. And he defended the freedom that Christians had to live by the Spirit. The freedom we have in Christ is not a license to sin, but rather it's a license to love one another. Verses 13 to 15 in chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command. Love one another. Paul says it in Galatians 5, and he's simply reiterating what Jesus said in Matthew 22. So he makes the point in the second half of chapter 5, that we have freedom in Christ to live by the Spirit. This is part of, not, we've been set free from the law. That's what we've been set free from. But we've been set free for something. What we've been set free for is to live by the Spirit. I want you to catch something here. We've been set free to live by the Spirit who produces His fruit in us. Rather than living by our sinful nature, which produces evil deeds. So, in verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Whose fruit is it? It's the Spirit's fruit, right? It's the Spirit's fruit. It's not your fruit. It's not. It's the Spirit's fruit. Whose fruit is it? <laughs> it's His fruit that He produces in us. How is fruit produced? I've never seen a tree or a vine or a vegetable garden working really hard <laughs> groaning in labor, trying to push out fruit. I've never seen it happen. I've never heard, you know, an apple tree in labor, like a woman in labor, going, ah, boom, and out, and out comes an apple. <laughs> never seen it. Never heard that. One way fruit's produced is that the branch is connected to the vine. It's a natural thing. It's supposed to happen that way. When the branch is connected to the vine, life flows from the vine through the branch and fruits produced. How is the fruit of the Spirit produced in us? I gotta tell you what, I've been I've been a Christian for 35 years. I've been a pastor for 25. If it could be done by effort, <laughs> I'd have gotten it by now. There'd be something to show for it. You know? It's not by effort, it's by connection. It's not by work. It's by relationship. It's not by law. It's not by following the rules and regulations of the church. It's by freedom. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's the natural order of things. If we're connected. If we're connected to the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit flows from Him. The Spirit's fruit flows from Him through us. So, if I understand Galatians chapter 5, we have freedom to love, 
We have freedom to live by the Spirit. And we have freedom from religious structures. And like the Galatians 2,000 years ago, the church today still wrestles with living free. And for those of us here at the bridge, we're not immune to these struggles. Our past religious lives have been formed and have been shaped by regulations and by rules. And it's very difficult to break free of it. It makes it very difficult to stand in freedom. As a matter of fact, it's so impacting on our development as believers that when we begin to experience freedom, it feels unnatural to us. It often feels unspiritual to us. It feels more natural, more spiritual to submit to the external controls and to the burdens and to submitting to the law. Somehow it just feels right. It's so easy for us as people to escape from one undesirable form of control only to submit to a seemingly more desirable form of control. It's like going from the fi- you know, frying pan into the fire. But spiritually, the control of law equals slavery. Verse 1 in Galatians chapter 5 makes that perfectly clear. Regardless of the source or the nature of the system of laws. It's the laboring, slavery. I don't care how nicely decorated the cage is. <laughs> it's still a cage. I don't care how polished the bars are. I don't care how many crosses you hang on them. <laughs> a cage is still a cage. And it's not freedom. There is a, there's a battle There's a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And most of us, we like control. We like to be able to control our environment. Pastors especially like to control. They like to have things neat and orderly because it makes their jobs easier. So they have rules and they have regulations. Last week they talked about giving. Why is there so much manipulation and control in giving in the church today? Well... The pastor wants to do something. He needs money to do it. <laughs> he wants to get paid. He needs money to do that. So his motivations, even if there's some good motivation, it's still not right to manipulate people. It's still not right to put them back on the law. Because what it does is it destroys our relationship with God. We were created to be intimate with him. He created us for the purpose of relationship with him. And maybe the most insidious part of the law is it becomes a hindrance, an obstacle between us and him. It's like putting on a suit of armor. You cannot, it's impossible to be intimate wearing a suit of armor. And it's what happens when we put on this piece of law and this piece of regulation. And this piece of tradition and these rules, 
And the next thing you know, we're clanking around, and there's no freedom to move, and it's impossible to embrace him or to feel his embrace around us. And they're all done with good intentions, but it limits and it restricts our freedom, and it keeps us hindered. And it gives us a poor, it gives us a, a, a distorted, it gives us an adulterated view of who he really is. That he'll only love me if I perform for him. He'll only be intimate with me if I follow this regulation. He'll only bless me if I give this amount of money or if I give such and such amount of time. And that's not who he is. This is what helps me. I think about the healthiest and the best fatherly examples I've ever seen. We all know of bad examples, but I think of the best that I've seen. What's the, who's the best father you know? Who's the most attentive, the most loving, the most gracious father you know? Then multiply that by about 10 billion, and you begin to maybe scratch the surface of one-tenth of one percent of who God is. I'm only a man, and I love my children. I love my son, and I love my daughter. I would, I would withhold nothing from them. I would never choose to withhold affection from them. It breaks my heart that they're 3,000 miles away. Oh, that I could give my daughter a hug today. I love when she comes and visits and we sit on the couch and we'll watch television and she just snuggles against me without me asking. She'll just come and snuggle in. She finds her nice little spot. And she's 27 now, but it reminds me when she was just a couple of months old and she'd fall asleep on my chest. I love that. I love that. And she says, Daddy, and I'll give her anything. <laughs> right? And I'm just a man. I would never want to put controls or limits. I would never want there to be anything of rules or regulations that you can only come and sit down next to me and snuggle next to me if you paid the rent. <laughs> or you gave me so much money every week. Does that sound ridiculous? You can't snuggle against me and sit down next to me. We can't have this intimate time together unless you show up at every church meeting that daddy has this week. Does that sound ridiculous? Because it is ridiculous. I would never do that to her. And I'm only a man. How much more does our Heavenly Father love us? Because I love her, I want her to snuggle next to me all the time. I love that. She doesn't have to do anything. The day she was born, I just met her moments ago. Just a few seconds. I'd have died for her right then. I'd have taken a bullet for her in that minute. She, didn't, she hadn't done anything except be born. All she was was created. And that cute little face and all that curly hair. Those tiny little itty bitty feet. I'd taken a bullet for her right then. Because I loved her. All I didn't want to do was hold her. So I think about those types of things, and then I imagine how amazing our God. There's none like you. We sang this morning, right? There's none like him. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's limitless. He's perfect. He, God, the word of God says, Scripture says, 1 John chapter 4, that God is love. He's perfectly love. 
And there's no fear in love. We can always struggle against next to him. On our worst day. Matter of fact, it's at those moments on our worst day when we've blown it the most, when we've made our worst mistakes. Not only do we most need to draw near to him, he's most welcoming. That's freedom. There was nothing Lisa could have done the day she was born to make herself acceptable to me. There's nothing I can do to make myself acceptable to God because I've been perfectly accepted by Him. And this is the insidious thing about rules and regulations. Imagine the ridiculousness of a, of a baby who's a few hours old saying, sure, I'll hold you if you do this, 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 and this. She can't do anything. It's impossible for her to do anything. I understand that because as an infant, compared to me as an adult, I'm this much more advanced than her physically and psychologically and emotionally. How much more advanced is God from you and me now? How much more advanced? It's not even close to comparing me as an adult to her as a child. It's like comparing me as an adult to an amoeba. That's how much more advanced he is than us. And he loves us extravagantly. Scripture says, oh, what great love the Father has lavished upon us. He loves us. I wish somehow, I wish I could reach my hand into your heart and take out that programming that says, I have to perform a certain way. I have to follow certain rules or regulations in order to be acceptable to God because it's a lie. It's the lie of the law. And we no longer live under that law. We live under grace. Now, if I understand Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, I, I get the impression from that verse, stand firm then and do not submit any longer to a yoke of slavery. There, that tells me that there's a responsibility that comes with freedom. And it's this. Remain free. The responsibility of freedom is to stay free. And don't go back to what's familiar. Don't go back into that cage just because you've lived in there so long. I watched some television show this week, and part of the story is about a man who spent most of his life in prison. And he wanted to go back to prison because he felt like it was comfortable and safe and familiar. How sad is that? How terrible is that? That's what the church does. We go back into prison because it's what we know. We have a responsibility with our freedom. It is to remain free. The price has already been paid. That we would be free. But sometimes to remain free, there are some things we have to endure. Like ridicule, or false accusations, or suspicions, or misunderstandings, or gossip, or slander. Because I tell you what... When you reject somebody's rules, when you reject their prisons, they get pretty upset. <laughs> they like their prisons. They like their rules. And boy, they can attack. They can attack viciously. When you stand up and say, hey, the king has no clothes on. <laughs> the emperor is naked. They don't like that. People throw rocks and beat you with sticks. But truth is still truth. It's a small price to pay 
even ridicule, accusations, misunderstandings, gossip, and slander, it's a small price to pay compared to what some previous generations of believers had to pay. So we're to stand firm in Christ's freedom and must not submit again, the RSV says. We must not be subject again to, the New American Standard says. We must not be entangled, the King James Version says. We must not be burdened again, the New International Version says. We must not be tied again to, the New English Bible says, a yoke of slavery. We must not. That tells me it's going to take some type of backbone on our part to stand up and say, no, I refuse to submit again to a yoke of slavery. I do it respectfully, I do it in love, but I'm not going back in the cage. I don't care how tempting you make that cage. I don't care what you put in that cage. I'm not going back in the cage. The word submit here means to be subject to. It means to be held in. It means to be ensnared. Think about having your foot stuck in a bear trap. I don't care how tempting you try to make that bear trap sound. I don't want that thing clamped around my leg. I'm not going back to slavery. I can only imagine, a hundred years ago, down in the South, if there was a, a man or woman, an African-American man or woman, who was finally set free from slavery, what could you possibly do to tempt them to go back into those chains? Nothing. Listen to me. Don't go back again. Every one of us, at some point in our Christian walk, have lived under slavery. I'm saying no more. There is a better way, and I am determined that we find it and that we live in it. And I believe that the Spirit of God has communicated to me emphatically that we are not to submit again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free and that we are not to submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now some application to the spiritual freedom. Galatians 5.16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the desires of the flesh. Right? You know what we hear? You know what goes off in our brains because we've lived in the cage for so long? You know what we hear in our heads when we listen to that verse? We hear, if you don't live, if you, this is what we hear. If you don't desire, if you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, then you'll live by the Spirit. That's not what it says. What the law says is, do not live by the desires of the flesh and you'll, and you'll live by the Spirit. That's not what it says. This is what it says. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what it says. Your focus will determine your reality. If we focus on not doing the desires of the flesh, then we're going to do the desires of the flesh. If we focus on walking in the Spirit, the desires of the flesh have no appeal to us. It's like they fall off of us. Do you see the difference? This is, how, this is how the law, this is how religious rules and regulations of men subtly twist the freedom. They take one sentence and turn it around. It makes all the difference in the world. Your focus will determine your reality. What are you going to focus on? If you focus on what's wrong, you make room for what's wrong. If you focus on sin, you make room for sin. If you focus on freedom, guess what? 
You make room for freedom. If you focus on walking with the Spirit, the desires of your heart are satisfied. And you're not going to look for some miserable substitute to fill in the gap. So I challenge you. I challenge you to practice, to experiment, to explore living by the Spirit. I told you since I've been here, my personal ethos is passion, freedom, spirit, and destiny. I want to live a supernatural life on the power of the Spirit. I want you to do the same. In every area of our lives, we recognize the value of practice. We do. Anything we practice, we get better at. Our friends this morning played so well the instruments that they played because they've spent time practicing how to play it. I want you to practice walking in the Spirit. I want you to practice walking with Him. I want you to practice keeping in step with the Spirit. I like the way Hebrews 5 says it. Hebrews 5.14. It says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's the New American Standard. The New King James says it this way, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who have, by reason of use, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want you to use what you have. I want you to exercise. I want you to practice so that you can become mature in walking in the Spirit. Practice living by the Spirit. We practice by walking in the Spirit, by living in the Spirit, by expressing the fruit of the Spirit. True fruit, true life in the Spirit is always shown by humility rather than arrogance. It's always shown by a humble spirit rather than having some attitude of, I'm the super Christian in the room. Walking in the Spirit means that we're conscious of God's presence with us at all times. An awareness of his presence helps us to follow his lead and to avoid evil. If we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So to walk with God means to keep pace or to keep step. It means to follow his lead. And that type of walking indicates relationship with, not working for. How do you keep pace with someone? If Nadine and I are holding hands and walking down the street, we keep pace with one another. We have the same gait. We have the same rhythm. It ha- walk with anyone, holding hands or not. Holding hands makes it a little bit more nice. But if you walk side by side with somebody, you're going to follow their tempo, their rhythm. It's not like you have to march behind, but you're walking with. So this is what helps me practically. A little less philosophical, a little bit more practical. Respond to his nudges. Sometimes the Spirit of God isn't, isn't something that explodes in front of me, but like a little tap on the shoulder. To go where he leads. To go when he says go. To allow him to interrupt my day. I remember one experience in particular. I was working. I'm sitting at my computer and I'm working. And I think I'm writing an email. In the middle of writing that email, I just felt this subtle 
gentle nudge of the spirit. And I paused for a second, and I kept on typing. And then I felt it again. And I said, hmm, I think I need to completely stop now. And I stopped. And I could feel the presence of something behind me. And I turned around. There's a heavenly being, this glowing being of light standing behind me. I don't know. I could have just as easily continued on with my email and never paid attention to what was going on in the spirit. It wasn't this huge, profound spiritual thing. It was a gentle nudge. And in that gentle nudge, I gave him my attention and he showed me more. I think one of the ways we walk in the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, is we give in to those gentle nudges. You know what I found? Is that the more I give in to those nudges, the more I recognize that they're there. And the, the more that I ignore them, the less I recognize that they're there. I don't know. I think he's nudging all the time. I just have to become acquainted to the gentle ways in which he gets our attention. Sometimes when I'm in a spiritual experience, when God's actually showing me something, I get distracted. The phone rings. Or when the kids are home, they come bursting in the room or whatever. I've learned that the presence of God and the Spirit is not nearly as fragile as some in the church had led me to believe. That He's quite enduring. And that if I get distracted, I can go back in. He'll still be there waiting for me. This is one of the ways I've learned how to practically walk in the Spirit. If you get distracted, some of you guys have little kids. You get distracted by the little kids, they've not ruined the moment. You can go back. He's still there. I've found that it's helpful in those times to observe the details. Sometimes God only shows me a little thing. He shows me just a little something. And i found that if I just pay attention to what's in front of me, he shows me more. And it's happened a couple of different ways. Sometimes he shows me one little thing. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then I pan back. It's like the camera pans back, and suddenly, oh, the whole room or the whole thing is in view. And sometimes it's just the opposite. He shows me one little thing, and if I just pay attention to what I see, it's like it zooms in, and almost at a microscopic level, I can see everything. So sometimes it's just a matter of paying attention to what's in front of us. It's helpful to record what he tells me. It's amazing to me how many times I'll write down what God gives me, and then six months later, it's profoundly significant in my life. That's how we can practice. I've learned that if God changed the channel, I let him change the channel, and we'll see whatever's going on next. His ways are not my ways. And we would think that when God shows us something in the Spirit, that it ought to have an a ordered flow to it. Our order. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't. He goes from one thing right to another thing. We start in one place, we go to another place. And the best analogy I can think of for it is like, give a sit with somebody else who has the remote control in their hand to the TV. It's not you. You ladies probably know this, right? Your husband has the remote control, right? And he's flicking channels. Sometimes that's what it's like in the spirit. It's like God's flicking channels. He shows you one thing, and then he shows you another thing. And then he shows you another thing. And you would think that this has to do with this, has to do with this, in our way of thinking. But it can be very different from our way of thinking. 
So when that happens, this is helpful. Don't worry about trying to understand it all in the moment. In the moment, experience the experience. You can analyze it later. You can figure it all out later. You can try and interpret it later. But in the moment, enjoy the moment. Go with it. This is how we teach people to do dream interpretation. One of the biggest mistakes a dream interpreter makes is this. That as they're listening to the dream for the first time, they're trying to interpret it in their head. And as they're trying to interpret it, they miss the next two or three sentences of the dream. You'll never interpret a dream you haven't heard. So when God's showing you something, experience the experience. Try and figure it out later. Understanding often comes later on. Just walk through the experience. And trust God. He is so trustworthy. He is so loving. And he's so kind. This is one of the other insidious aspects of the law. Is we think that God is not trustworthy. We think that he's mean and angry. And we're only supposed to fear him. And if we live under this thing that we fear God. Then we're afraid to make mistakes. And so we try to stay. You know carefully within these boundaries otherwise we're going to get slapped around and that's not who he is it's very hard to experiment it's very hard to explore and practice if you think mistakes are unacceptable he knew there would be mistakes he designed this whole thing so that we would have relationship with him and work through the mistakes if he if he didn't think that there would be mistakes in the mix why did he invent something called repentance Why do you do that? We can trust him. We can trust his love for us. I love Luke 11. 11. It just takes me back to the whole idea of a good father. And it helps me as I try to experiment and explore and practice with living in the spirit. In the freedom that's ours in the spirit. Luke 11, 11 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's a good dad. He's so much better than us. We would never give us, our kids a, a snake or a scorpion if they asked for an egg or for bread, right? We would never do that. Even we know that. So if we ask him, Father, I want to experiment in the Spirit. I want to explore. I want to become better. I want to practice. I want to be better at this. He'll give us the Holy Spirit if we ask him. I have much more confidence in his ability to lead me in spiritual things than I have concern of the enemy deceiving me in spiritual things. Why? Because Luke 11 11 says he's a good dad. And he won't give me evil things if I ask him for good things. I ask him for good things. So, we are free. I tell you again today that we're free. We're free from religious rules and regulations. We're free to love. And we're free to live by the Spirit. So let me pray for you guys today. Father, I thank you for my friends. And I ask that you would bless them. 
as we were praying this morning, I saw, um, I saw two things. I saw like the tip of an index finger touching the top of some of your heads. And then on others, I saw like what looked like a drop of yellowish, like a, a, an, an illuminated yellow liquid falling into the top of your head. I felt like that meant two things. I felt like the liquid was um, a release of the spirit. And it was an anointing for spiritual things. And that the touch of his finger, index finger on the top of heads, was to change your thinking. He was going to give you the ability to think new ways about old things. For some of you who have been trying to figure stuff out, it's like standing before a chalkboard with this you know, huge um, mathematical equation, super complicated, and you can't figure it out. You just need to look at it differently. You need to think about it differently. And the touch of his finger on the top of your head was going to enable you to do that. And so, Lord, do that. Lord, I pray for us today that we would live in the fullness of the freedom that's ours in Christ Jesus, that you would set us free from the traditions, from the rules and regulations that have formed our early development as believers. Lord, set us free. Lord, we choose you. We choose to live outside the cage. We choose freedom. We choose you, O oh God. And Lord, so I ask that you would do just like you showed me this morning, and that you would let that drop touch the top of my friend's head and change the way they think. Change our thinking, O oh God. Lord, I ask that you touch us and help us to see old things in new ways. Give us the answers to problems that we're wrestling with. I just feel like God would have me tell you that it's a whole lot simpler than you think it is. It's not as complicated as you've been told it is. It's much simpler. So do it, Lord. Lord, I pray for us today. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Change the way we think. Have your way with us. Have your way with us, O God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.